everybody and welcome to the next episode of the biodiversity podcast by teasels and for this episode i am sitting down with chris bridgman of uh, bridgman and bridgman hi chris how are you doing hi daniel yeah i'm good thanks for inviting me along um, yeah no it's good to have you so chris uh we've known each other off and on for the last uh, few years um but for the uninitiated do you want to just give uh, the listeners a brief introduction to yourself and tell us a bit more about um, the great work you do at Bridgman and Bridgman. Yeah, sure. Thank you for that. Um, so my name is Chris Bridgman. Uh, I'm a partner of Bridgman and Bridgman. Um, so we historically we we started as a landscape company 16 years ago. Um, our careers, which is myself and my dad Neil, uh, our careers have always been in horticulture. Um, 16 years ago, as I say, we, we set up a partnership to, to run a commercial landscape company. And then in 2009, which is really exciting, we were given the opportunity to do our first ever green roof in Brighton. Um, I'll be quite honest with you, Daniel, I've never heard of a green roof then, but uh, it sounded cool. Um, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I'll give that a go. Why not? Being uh, in the early years of business, uh, it was always never say no, just keep saying yes. And, exactly. um, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and it's it really shaped the way of our future. Um, that's now all we do. We only do green roof uh, and roof garden installation and maintenance, but also training as well now. So we've actually dropped the landscape services. So the reason being the market is growing so uh, rapidly in the UK. Um, and we were sort of there from a fairly early stage. So that's where we're at at the moment. So you mentioned, we were, t we were chatting a couple of weeks ago. So correct me if I'm wrong, the green roof industry is growing, is it 17% per annum? Yes, yeah, 17.5% a year um, on average it's growing, which is a huge, huge amount for any industry. Wow. So I, I guess the next question is, what, what are the drivers behind that? Okay, well, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And and pre-COVID, it was all to do with planning. So, you know, planning authorities would request more green roofs were included in developments. Um, Post-COVID and sort of during COVID, it's all about building back greener and, you know, how important green spaces are. So yeah. my concern when COVID came around was, you know, we would lose the the climate message we would we would forget you know where we need to be environmentally yeah but but you know fantastically it's it's almost been accelerated and yeah we've seen such a huge amount of forward planning uh, orders for green roofs um the business has stayed very busy throughout the whole pandemic which is good you know very good um mm. obviously there's issues around you know, is it safe? You know, do we want to be putting people out to work during a pandemic? So there was yeah. lots of, you know, people that didn't want to work or felt uncomfortable could use the furlough scheme. But on the whole, um, working safely, we've remained really, really busy throughout. So, um, yeah, really pleased that we haven't lost our, our sight on on the climate emergency. <laughs> And that's uh, and that's that's great that you say that because I think that green roofs, um, although we can't a lot of people a lot of people can't see them, 
they are vitally important. Um, they're a vitally imp important component of trying to address this climate emergency. Um, do you want to give us a bit of a background that how green roofs um, can do that? Because in the past we've chatted about it, but it'd be really nice to see or really nice to hear some of your sort of case studies of some of the roofs that uh, that you guys have worked on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose we can, if we talk a bit about the history of green roofs, they're not new. Um, yeah. I mean, these have been going on for thousands of years. Um, traditional sod roofs are green roofs. You know, that was for insulation. So obviously now green roofs still insulate. Mm. Uh, in hotter climates where the ash felt would melt under the, the rays of the sun, they tried to put sand layers on the roof to try and sort of protect the roof, the waterproof layer. Yeah. And in time, they became vegetated. So, you know, from that, we learned that the green roof is actually protecting the waterproof layer. Yeah. And, and we know that, in fact, a green roof can increase the, the lifespan of a roof by up to two, two or three times. So a little bit more uh, costly uh, during installation, you know, and, and building the roof. But the longevity of the roof is going to be twice as long. So it's money saving in the future. Mm. Um, which is quite, is a huge benefit, but more and more now um, for biodiversity, rooftops are really important. You know, we can recreate habitats we destroy on the ground by building them on the rooftop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's got... a point. I think it's a point that um, uh, John Little made uh, a few podcasts back, where he said, if you think about, you know, we try and establish, uh, you know, try and establish habitat on the ground. You know, it's it's open to vandalism. It's open to disturbance, but uh, you know, but you can have habitat vegetation on a roof, and it relatively it's going to be undisturbed, other than well, other than perhaps when you guys come up and sort of maintain it. Maintain it yeah, but you're right. You know, you know, and as John says, it's protected space, which is where else do you find that? You know, where else do you get undisturbed habitats and biodiverse areas? You don't. So another great reason for for doing this you know and um also you know flood alleviation we're, we're keeping the water at source we're keeping it on the rooftops mm. um it's evaporating rather than going into the stormwater drains which is obviously protecting the cities yeah uh and we're cooling the air so we're cooling the air around the buildings we're you know it's helping with the the urban heat island effect by reducing temperatures mm. um and it's just, I, I can't, you know, it's really hard, Daniel, to sort of wonder why we haven't been doing this for years in the UK. You know, why is it taking us so long to catch on? So that's interesting. So I, if I can, uh, if I can take you back, because you mentioned um, sort of, you know, the brief history of green roofs, like we've got this sort of the sods roofs that were in the uh, sort of Scandinavia. Yeah. And then as you were talking earlier about, you know, the history of green roofs, I was thinking, well, on the continent they've been doing it you know both you know on green roofs and sort of uh, you know terrestrial gardens they kind of like 20 30 years ahead and, sure. and and i kind of think i guess it's trying to get to the bottom of why we've been so slow on the uptake because the the benefits are still there i mean it's only it's only europe we, yeah it's not a million miles away we can you know we can get the eurostar and go over and have a look so why do you think there is why do you think there's been that lag i just think 
awareness and, and you know, um, I really think that the campaign that Dusty Gedge has, has sort of, over the last 20 years, he's been campaigning for Green Roofs and without that, I'm not sure we would even be this far ahead. I'm not sure the market would be growing at such a pace, you know, it was Dusty visited Switzerland and came back and introduced Green Roofs to London. And now we've got 1.5 million square meters of, of green roof, you know, in the capital, which is huge for us. But wow. if we compare that to Germany that are installing 10 million square meters every year, that's nothing. We're way, way behind, you know, and it's, wow. it's yeah, again, it's crazy. But I just, I think we're always Sorry, a little bit. Can you repeat bit, that? 10 million a year. 10 million square meters a year are installed in Germany each and every year. So I guess I guess green roofs are enshrined into sort of sort of their, their psyche, but also definitely their planning their planning regs. Yeah, I mean their houses, their industrial developments, everything that can have a green roof generally does have one from the beginning. Without you know, it's not even questioned. It's not a a cost issue. It's it's just a given, really yeah and um yeah it just shows you know although our market in the uk is growing a huge amount every year the worldwide market is absolutely phenomenal you know we're we're just a very tiny player compared to to everyone else mm. so so again so you mentioned about about uh, dusty um you know he brought green roofs to the capital now, again, I think that's been, if you like, enshrined into planning law in London with the the urban greening factor. And that's played a big part in that. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And the London plan, it's written into that, that you know, where possible green roofs are included. And, and that's fantastic for London. But for the rest of the UK, I think they're, you know, with the Metro mayors, they're now trying to adopt those plans and better them. So straight away, Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds they're looking to really increase their green roof stock and make it, you know, a big part of forward vision and planning. Yeah, yeah. Scotland's always been very big. Glasgow and Edinburgh have, have been ahead of the curve, as have Sheffield, but everything in between that has been very sort of minimal and, you know, not, you know, not driven by planning departments. It's just down to individual architects and yeah, yeah. people that know about them, really. And, you know, sometimes they're designed, but then value engineered out, which means the cost is too much. So they take them out. But, yeah, yeah. you know, more and more we see that they're becoming a, a huge feature of the development. So they're not being taken out. You know, the cost is not an issue. And I think that it's something that's come up in previous podcasts where, you know, if green roofs are considered from minute one, day one, then they're built into the structure rather than the structure's built and then somebody has a brainwave to, you know, two, two weeks before, you know, panning in the planning application and it's an afterthought. But if you can, if you can plan them from minute one, day one, the, the, the structure underneath the green roof is not necessarily a massive increment in, in cost. No, exactly. You know, and as you just said, it's sort of design and think about what green roof you want from the outset and then design the building accordingly. You know, it's the best green roofs are the deeper depth of substrates, which is the growing medium, as you know. Mm. And, you know, 
the risk we run, or the, the yeah, the risk is that, as you said, it's a last minute thing, and all of a sudden, well, actually, we can only just put a, a basic sedum roof on because we didn't think about it soon enough. Which, yeah. you know, sedum have has their own merits, but I, you know, the best green roofs that we can be installing are biodiverse roofs that are, are deeper. You know, more species can can grow on it and it is more more beneficial for biodiversity so yeah the deeper the better really and you know it's that conversation to be had with the green roof designer and the structural engineer in the early stages which will give you the most sustainable green roof you can get so chris you just were mentioning about uh, seed and mats and you mentioned earlier about biodiverse green roofs but I think it's really worth discussing now what a green roof actually is, because I, I believe there's a large part of sort of the construction industry and perhaps, you know, general public view that a green roof is just a seed and mat. Now, can you could you just give us a breakdown of the different types of green roofs, their sort of pros, their cons and perhaps, their, you know, their application in the, you know, for a for a scheme? Sure. So. As you know, Daniel, we all of the green roofs um, in the UK aspire to follow the GROW code, which is the Green Roof Organisation. So yeah. it's a trade body in the UK made up of um, suppliers, uh, contractors and manufacturers of green roof systems that have all come together to devise a code of good practice in green roofing. Yeah. Um, the, the brand new code is about to launch this year. Um, on World Green Roof Day. And basically within that, it will define green roofs as three different types, three basic different types. In You've got your extensive roof, which as you, you said earlier, the seed and blanket is a common extensive roof. It's the lightest of the green roof systems where, um, you know, you'll have uh, a protection layer to protect the waterproofing, drainage and reservoir layer, filter fleece, growing medium, and then a seed and blanket. Yeah. So that's your extensive roof, probably fully saturated weight, including a snow load, you're looking around 120 kilograms per square meter. Yeah. So traditionally a lot of roofs are sort of commercial roofs, flat roofs on office blocks, just had a layer of gravel over them or slabs. Yeah. Basically, the extensive roof almost mirrors that in terms of weight loading. So yeah. basically, if, you, if you've got a gravel roof, you can potentially have a, a green roof without a lot of structural enhancement. Yeah. The next stage is uh, the biodiverse roof, um, which is a deeper depth of growing medium. So you're going to be able to grow more species in it. It's going to be able to support more species of wildflower. Yeah. Um, also more sort of interest in planting rather rather than just a seed and blanket. So you can have bulbs and you can have um, different potted, you know, fairly small P9 plants in, yeah. that sort of stuff that's allowed to mature, uh, isn't just a blanket of vegetation, it, it's allowed to mature over time. Mm. Um, these can actually be combined with solar panels. So you get a biosolar roof where you have great vegetation around the solar panels, which yeah. actually cools the air temperature and produces more power through yeah. the panels. 
Um, it, it's also great for creating small microclimates for different types of uh, wildflower uh, and vegetation. So it's re it's really interesting and the it's two such go a together. Big, it's such a big win-win that, isn't it? I mean, I, I saw, um, not sure if you were there, but when uh, Gary Grant took us up to, um, on the roof of one of the buildings on the Olympic Park a couple of years ago, yeah, it seemed like a massive win-win. It was again. You had the solar panel, which is, um, you know, that, that should be a win. But like you say, you had all that all that vegetation, and then like you just mentioned, that nuance of, you know, different microclimates, even within you know a meter of each other. It's so, so. The other beauty of the solar panel and green roof combined is that the green roof is actually ballasting the, the framework of the solar panel. So. Mm. You don't have to drill into your roof uh, or penetrate the roof deck to have the panels in place because it's all loose laid above and the green roof is actually holding it all in place. So a fantastic retrofit, you know, opportunity as well. And I, and I bet, as, as you're saying it, I bet uh, let's get that message out there to any sort of structural engineer or roofing contractor. You don't have to you don't have to get a drill out. There's no way you're going to punch mm. the, the, you know, punch the liner. So um yeah so, so, so yeah, i suppose sorry then we then we move on to the intensive roofs which as you say is is almost your your garden on the rooftop sort of urban rooftop farms it's you know basically you can if the structure allows have what you could what you have on the ground on a rooftop so that's classed as your intensive green roof or roof garden and there's quite a few good examples around London of intensive roof gardens. You've got, um, as it Cannon Bridge roof garden, um, and as you mentioned, I think in um, is it in Paris? I, I forget the I forget the total square meterage, but the sort of urban farms on rooftops. Um, ah, I forget uh, it was something daft like you know like a thousand. But again, urban farms on rooftops is becoming a big thing in Paris, and you know they made a point of that in the uh, the Guardian a few weeks ago. So it's you know it's it's great to see. Absolutely. So it's great to see. So then, why do you find though? Why do you find that um, your bog standard seed and mats seem to be the go-to? the go-to green roofs what 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 do you think's driving that uh probably cost a little bit um probably um awareness of what green roofs are available you know it's it's fairly easy to download a, a sedum specification online and and sort of run with that um without knowing all the other green roof types that are available to you um so can i ask chris do you think that is um do you think that's what happens that they because there is that infrastructure where you know you can download tick that box get that specification you know put your letterhead on it chuck it in it's just job done another box ticked do you think that's happening a lot potentially yeah i mean because if you know if if a planning department says it needs a green roof then why wouldn't you just go online and find that information and get one that just says green roof? You know, perhaps the issue is the planning departments need to specify more what it what it should be rather than just green roof. You know, green roof is a very broad term. 
Yeah. Um, and could, you know, a lot of people class that just as a seed and roof, you know, but I think as we go forward, we need to be getting a lot more um, aware of what's available to us and, and realise that the biodiverse ones are much more beneficial in the long run uh, for biodiversity. So. so that's interesting. So in, in terms of guidance, what sort of guidance is, what sort of official guidance is out there for, for people in planning departments? Like, you know, if you're sitting there, literally if you're a planner sitting there in your office, where can you, when could, where could somebody go to, to, to have a more of a, you know, more of a, a reference point? Well, you know, as I mentioned, the, the new GROW code is about to be launched, but the GROW code has been around for some 16, 17 years now. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a lot more emphasis on, on a sort of, um, you know, making people aware that that's available, you know, and, but also we've worked really hard as GROW to develop training courses and we're, we're working really hard at the moment on an e-learning course. So it's a, a very, it's a three hour online course that any developer, any local council, any individual could, could go on mm. and learn all about the different types of green roofs, but also they can learn about the steps they need to go through to get the best green roof for for their project basically so yeah. you know a lot of the time we find even when we deal with councils and authorities they say that oh we really want a green roof we love the idea but our developer says they're a bad idea and and they cause leaks or or <laughs> real off some of the other misconceptions and then it's just put to bed it's oh well we won't do it then you know so it, so it's a real real issue we've got that that people are being put off by contractors or builders or developers mainly i think because they're not aware of what a green roof is and it's out of their comfort zone yeah, yeah. so i guess i guess yeah yeah i mean um so you mentioned earlier about you know the sort of myths about green roofs i mean is there a sort of the top five myths that you kind of uh that you hear that like it's going to leak or it costs too much is there, is there are there any of those myths that you could perhaps uh, dispel or give you yeah of course i mean so the leakage is a huge one people say oh green roofs cause leaks but green roofs won't cause a leak the leak will, is likely to be there before the green roof went on and that's quite easily you know um wrapped up by having leak tests done so you know we test the waterproofing to make sure it is actually waterproof before the green roof goes on yeah and then when the green roof does go on, there's absolutely no reason why that green roof will cause the leak, you know, unless there's damage caused by someone digging it up in effect. So yeah. if you can imagine, we're, we're putting a big buffer on top of the waterproof layer to actually protect it. You know, if, if there's no green roof and people are just walking on the, the bare waterproof in itself, it's more likely to get punctured or damaged there, you know, by people just walking across it or treading in something sharp to yeah. cause a penetration so yeah that's, that's a huge one that we can easily you know dispel that green roofs do not actually cause leaks themselves because it's all above the waterproofing layer yeah and then cost as well because i guess you know again cost always comes up doesn't it that's just always the thing so um do you want to just sort of give us a breakdown on 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 cost and and sort of weighing up against what a green roof would cost or and or against you know a non-green roof 
Yeah, of course. So I suppose the easiest way to do it is sort of say a green roof, you know, square meter wise is likely to cost you between 90 to 150 pound a square meter, you know, rough, rough estimates. Yeah. Which is an additional cost to your roof, you know, because the green roof is everything, you know, it's layers above your waterproof. It's above your roof. You know, your yeah. roof is there anyway. The green roof just goes above it. So, yes, it's more of an expense when you're building or developing. But like I said earlier, Dan, Daniel, if it if it makes your, la your roof last two or three times as long, you're actually going to save yourself, you know, the cost of replacing that roof twice in, in its lifetime. So yeah. it, it's more of an initial cost, but long term, it's a huge saving by yeah. having a green roof on. Yeah. And, and does that message get kind of lost? Because I guess pe perhaps people are just thinking, oh, there's my capital. You know, that that's it. They're thinking about the capital and they're not thinking about the ongoing ongoing cost. Yeah, I think you're right. They're, they're working to the budget of constructing, not, you know, the longevity of the building. You know, what it's going to save the end user in the long run. That's not their concern when they're building. So why would they consider that? You know, it's it's an additional cost at construction phase. So. Hmm. that's why it's often value engineered out because it's an extra 90 or 150 pounds square meter so yeah so then um we were you know we were chatting before the podcast started about you know the sort of the drivers of of the green roof industry and you, you were mentioning how it's it's quite a product-led um it's a product-led uh, industry at the moment uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, a lot of the manufacturers, very good manufacturers, you know, have a lot of information available online. So, again, it's easier for developers and architects to take those specifications and just drop them straight into to the projects, um, which is good. Uh, it's good that that information is available, but maybe that, as you said earlier, maybe that's the reason that there's a lot of um, extensive basic seed and roofs because they're just quite an easy option to to put in you know mm. if, if architects aren't aware of or comfortable with all the other options available to them you know the it's almost like sedums the the comfort blanket isn't it you know yeah pop a seed and roof on <laughs> yeah <laughs> won't be that comfortable lying on it it's be uh... <laughs> so but all joking aside so um it's so again we 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 we've chatted briefly you know in the past about sort of the, the sort of makeup underneath um sedum um but it'd be really interesting to to hear from you about you know we've we've talked about you know extensive roofs and biodiverse roofs what are those what are those biodiverse roofs actually growing on well i mean you know as you know you've got your general build-up that you would have of a sedum roof but then you can be really you know you can really do some exciting things like John Little does I mean John just does some fantastic projects in using rubble and ceramic waste to create really interesting biodiversity features on roofs sand mm. piles so basically if you've got your you know 80 to 150 or 200 millimeters of substrate it's then great to have a play around with lots of different materials and almost recreate a wasteland, which is the beauty yeah. of what John does, you know, because like we said earlier, it's a protected area uh, for wildlife and they want, you know, let's try and make it as 
rough and ready as possible because you know that is wild yeah. you know let's make the substrate as wild as the the rest of the environment for them and then you were saying that the sort of the, the sweet spot is uh, 150 mil yeah i mean you wouldn't want to go any lower than that because you know the lower you go the less sort of water retention so the more sort of drought periods and warmer you know temperatures that we're we're getting each year can soon put those plants under stress mm. so the deeper the substrate really is beneficial for when we get into drought periods if there's no way of watering or irrigating the roofs but let you know that that shouldn't put people off because let's imagine a roadside verge sometimes that goes completely brown and dead and looks really dead you know but as soon as there's a drop of rain it comes back and it comes back better and that's yeah. exactly the same as a green roof and what we do need to be better at is managing you know people's perception of wildflower roofs and you know yeah. manage their expectations it's not going to be a poppy field all year round it's a wild roof it's yeah. going to look dead and that's not a bad thing you know it's, yeah. it's natural but you know it's sort of educating people and making them aware of that and i suppose one thing we've been doing daniel is sort of interpretation panels so it's, yeah. it's like the um mowing the roadside verges isn't it you know if you don't mow them uh, people complain if you put a sign up to say you're not <laughs> mowing them because of bees and for wildlife people say oh, all right fair enough you know because it's really interesting I'm, I'm laughing because i was reading on instagram the other day a guy called um councillor there called james mallinder fantastic guy and what they're doing at the suffolk county council is they're leaving their road roadside verges but they're caught, but they're putting up signage to say uh um excuse the weeds we're feeding the bees so yeah. it flips it just flips it from oh you're creating a meadow to you're just making it look messy just with a bit of advertising a bit of info you know but it, but you're right it's 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 about education really isn't it just just explaining to people what you're doing and that it's okay you know and, and as when they read that they're like mm, fine yeah great that sounds really good <laughs> yeah i love it you know but if you didn't if they just look out onto a dead roof they think they're looking at a dead roof and something's wrong with it you know or it, it's it's not performing as it should be but so it's quite interesting so um i'm going to give you a big shout out here so you recently won an award for your roof at, on the top of ikea in greenwich correct me if i'm wrong yeah no thank you for that yeah we won the um the nflc uk roofing award for best green roof fantastic so I guess you've had a lot of you've had a lot of footfall up there. So is have you have you got a lot of um, you know you talk about interpretation boards? Were you putting interpretation boards on on top of that roof as well? Yeah, I mean IKEA is a great example of using all the three types of green roof that we spoke about earlier. So you, yeah. you have got sedum areas, you've got biodiverse areas, you've got urban rooftop farming uh, and growing beds for community use, which Ikea are really big on uh, bringing schools in to, to do workshop sessions on the rooftop. Um, but you've really got areas good. for recreation as well. And it's it's a big part of the Ikea store in that, you know, they could have a bigger store by moving all their green space onto the roof. So yeah. it's a clever, very, very clever forward way of thinking. And um, you know, all around the world, IKEA's rooftops are generally green. 
um, with rooftop gardens. And it's just great that they're, they're so far ahead uh, with that forward thinking and doing that. But it actually works in their favour as well. They're creating areas that people want to come to. So I guess that makes commercial sense because they can have more read, you know, uh, what's the phrase, more floor space to sell yeah. Their, yeah. their products. Um, and like you say, they're getting people, they're getting footfall into the green roofs and on the way out, they can buy a, a flat pack sofa. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can eat your meatballs on the rooftop overlooking <laughs> the, the London skyline, you know, for free. Where else would you get that? Yeah. So, um, so, so remind us what was the, uh, what was the, what was the award again? Who, who, who gave you the award? The... So it's the, the National Federation of Roofing Contractors. It's their, their annual UK roofing awards. And, uh, we, we entered, uh, Ikea into, um, the green roofing category, but we mm. were also shortlisted with Noah's Ark Children's Hospice in Enfield, which is a biosolar green roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's a beautiful project, a great story. Um, and recently we worked with Emporio Almani. They wanted to um, introduce some green roofing to the UK as part of their worldwide green project. Wow. And, and they had some issues in getting permission for their London properties. And, and they sort of came to ourselves and Dusty and said, do you know of any roofs that we could sponsor? Uh, and it turns out that Noah's Ark had two roofs that, could be retrofitted in addition to the green roofs they already had wow. and, and that's another great story you know armani have sponsored green roofs on noah's ark uh, and also they sponsored wildlife cameras that the, the sick children in the hospice can watch what's going on on the roof from their ipads with the wildlife cameras that we've put onto the green roof so it's just such oh. a great story and and use of their space, you know, the hospice have never had an electricity bill in the two years that they've been there because their roof is producing all that power. That's tearing me up, that. That's so yeah. good, isn't it? That's bloody, so they've, I mean, that's that's another dimension, isn't it? The wildlife cameras so people can see it. You know, we all like to, you know, there's numerous wildlife cameras on terrestrial landscapes, but that is, um, well, I never yeah, liked it's a beautiful product. story. Yeah, yeah, really, really nice story. And for Armani, it was far better the outcome for them by sponsoring something and putting on a, a really meaningful green roof that, you know, could be enjoyed by so many rather than trying to potentially just retrofit a, a small building in London for themselves. So, yeah, really good. That's superb. Now, the one at Noah's Ark, that's, that's a flat roof or is that a pitched roof? that's a flat roof yeah flat roof yeah ah, so it's not but it's not just it's not just flat roofs that you can um you, you can green up because yeah. i remember we were, we were chatting previously about uh one with the lovely view of the north norfolk coast salt house salt house yeah um yeah that's a fantastic project where uh, a self-build that um a great chap's been been doing up there and we worked with him with for quite a while on the design of it and we worked with some optigreen technical experts in germany about pitch roof solutions and yeah. um, they're not very common in the uk but this system actually allowed us to put a 47 degree pitched green roof on on the garages of this self-built property overlooking wow. the north norfolk coast so wow that was a real treat real treat and but challenging, um, you know, we've been installing green roofs for 
for 12 years now and and we still get challenges you know this technology is new to us as well um we know the concept we've done pitch roofs before but nothing this steep and you know there's ways of working and and times where we really pull our hair out but you know we use the basic principles and 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 our experience to make it work so yeah again another really interesting project and not huge in size probably 80 square meters but for me it's not about the size of the roof it's about you know the challenges how interesting it is you Mm. know what benefits it's having and um you know, I was delighted when the client rang up to say that it's it had survived the 80 mile an hour wind that <laughs> yeah. followed the week after us installing it. So, um, yeah. yeah, good news. Excellent. But, I, you know, I wanted to raise that, though, because, again, it's just it's just, you know, getting the message out there that it's just, you know, there are there are green solutions, all types of roofs on all types of, you know, pitched angles and you know flat roofs pitch. You know, it's, you know, there is there is a there is a green solution for it so there is and, and more so in london where you know that there, there's more and more requirements for storm water and you know one in 100 year storm events that the water does not go off of the site so yeah. basically that either means you build a huge attenuation tank underground or you build your building stronger and create a blue roof where you're creating an extra layer underneath the green roof um, that can take all that water from a one in 100 year storm event and slowly release it off. So Mm. the key is it's not a permanent water tank. It's a, it's a method of controlling water flow. And um, you know, that, that, that's becoming a lot more useful to developers and actually saves them a lot of money. You know, the roof is going on. Because that's interesting because um, you're talking about a blue-green roof here, aren't you? So you're talking yeah. about the crates with the uh, the build-up on top. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd love to see, I don't know if people have done a sort of, you know, a cost-benefit analysis or a comparison between what it costs to sink a tank underneath the building and all the groundworks and all the infrastructure and then d- did a direct... Uh, uh, cost comparison with with a blue green roof i'd love to i'd love to see that data well i mean there's talk you know uh, to, i mean you try digging a, a tank in london you know it's you can spend up to half a million or you know a million pound digging a hole to create this attenuation tank underground or you build your building stronger and utilize your rooftop and you know you, you get the benefits of the green roof as well so that's the sort of comparison it is you know. that's that's quite an easy comparison i thought yeah. i thought it'd be something more convoluted but yeah that's <laughs> digging a digging a blooming big hole i suppose yes yeah, the groundworks it's you know it's the access it's i guess it's everything but uh, well, di- disrupting the surroundings as well you know london undergrounds and all the the utilities and everything that goes on whoa. how can you dodge all of those easily you can't so it's um... Yeah, no, I suppose, I suppose I don't know how many permits and, you know, uh, consultant fees you'd be paying just to do to go a big hole. But yeah, you're, so that's the, but, that, but that's the, but that's the blue green roof. And um, but it's quite interesting though, when you have that blue green roof and then you have the build up on top, I mean, um, what was the, you know, so the water can be held up there, but it is only releasing it after a couple of hours even that 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to slow it down a lot, you know, pro possibly, you know, up to 48 hours before it comes off the rooftop. So wow. it's, it's really slowing it down. But then, you know, green roofs were the original blue roofs. They were doing that. This is just taking it to the next level for when we do get, you know, real heavy storm events. And, and we are, you know, we're, we're planning for 100 years, you know, a one in 100 year storm event. We're not going to get that many of them, but we're ready for them. And the rooftops are, are designed to take that should we, should we, you know, get that storm come in. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, we've talked up to this point about green roofs and installation, the different types of green roofs. But uh, I think it's probably a good time that uh, you could dispel another myth about green roofs. Uh, green roofs, you, I don't know, might need a bit of maintenance. Um, so do you want to just give us a bit of background on uh, the maintenance involved, uh, involved with, uh, with green roofs? Sure, yeah. No, I love the line, they're low maintenance and not <laughs> no maintenance. That's, uh, that's key. And um, yeah, it's been knocking around for a long time and, and people being informed that Green roofs don't need any maintenance. They do their own thing. To an extent they do, um, but they do need some maintenance. You know, we need to stop any woody weeds um, forming, you know, like Buddleia and stuff. Yeah. You know, that, that is a risk to the waterproofing if left. You know, and that can come in via bird droppings. That's not, you know, or wind. So for that reason, we need to be checking and maintaining roofs. You know, there, there's... Every gravel, you know, every roof has a gravel fire break around the outside. Yeah. Uh, and we need to make sure that's vegetation free because if it ever caught fire, uh, which is very unusual, the gravel margin around the edge is to stop the flames getting to any of the upstands of the building. So, really important that that's vegetation free so that that fire precaution is still working. Um, and and the growing medium the substrate is low in organic content to slow down you know the growing process and so you don't have to be mowing it or strimming it every fortnight like your back garden it's maintenance is probably twice a year on an extensive roof so a sedum roof um, perhaps a little bit more with biodiverse roofs but they do need maintenance they're not no maintenance so that's really key um, for everyone considering one to know that you know, we've got to be able to get up there and we've got to be able to get up there safely to maintain it. So let's just, let's just make that comparison. So you're getting up on green roofs. What's, what's your, what's, what, what is the average sort of maintenance contract once every, I don't know, once every month, few times a year? Because I guess a comparison between that and a terrestrial landscape where you're probably making what, 19, 20 to 23 mm. visits per annum? Yes, yeah, so, well, let's take a, a sedum extensive roof first. We'd Personally, we'd do a, a maintenance visit in the spring. We'd put a slow-release fertiliser on to give it a boost uh, for the growing season. Yeah. And then our next visit wouldn't be until uh, the autumn, where we'd remove any weeds, you know, uh, any leaf, any leaf droppings or stuff that's on there, clear the, the fire breaks. Uh, and then that would be it until the spring. With a biodiverse roof, we'd probably make one extra visit to to cut the wildflowers down at the correct time um, to make sure that they they come back the next year. 
uh, and reseed. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking two or three visits a year for the extensive and biodiverse roofs. If you've got an intensive roof, basically a roof garden, then you're going back to your sort of 19 scheduled visits a year, potentially, depending on what you've got on there. Yeah. But I just want to, I always, it's really important just to stay on that point because, you know, if you are, if you're a sort of a, you know, a landowner and you've got, you know, you've got to consider ongoing maintenance, it's a no brainer. You know, again, you can, for example, you took about, you know, using the case study as Ikea, you know, they've got, they've got their green space on their roof with a reduced, you know, reduced uh, maintenance input, reduced maintenance cost. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that can be overlooked really. It's just, mm. it, it really is. But again, like you said, it's, it's, it's down to the sort of the substrate underneath because it's not massive. It's not as rich in nutrients as sort of a terrestrial garden. Mm. Then the, the growth isn't as vigorous as it would be. And therefore, you know, you have to, you have to maintain it. But, you know, it, it, say the green roof wasn't there, Daniel, you've got to, as a building owner, you need to go up there twice a year anyway to check that the water outlets are clear. So we can do that when we do the green roof visits, you know, and you're, you're ticking all the boxes you need to. So it's, it's not a huge extra additional cost because you need to be going up and checking that the, water, the, the roof isn't flooding or ponding because of debris within the, the rainwater outlets. So. Mm. So then you got you you guys are going up there, um, but you know you've obviously been in the industry for the last uh, last twelve years. Um, could you give your kind of an overview on you know the in, the industry, the the perhaps the skills gap in the industry? You know where where's where's the industry going, and you know have we got you know have we got the people out there too? Be maintaining this and to you know keep these green roofs as they as they should be sure i mean you know i love the green roof industry i really like my colleagues and peers within it there's some really legendary people you know amongst those including john little gary grant dusty gedge you know but you're not just colleagues anymore you make friends with these people and it's it doesn't feel like we're all in huge competition you know because there's so much work to go around and everyone's got their specialisms yeah and uh, you know i'm vice president of, of grow the green roof organization and it's the we go to all the meetings and and we laugh with one another we laugh with our competitors you know and, <laughs> and and joke and but try and help each other and encourage each in standards you know which i never got that in the landscape industry i didn't feel that cool. people would help each other it all felt like you know, everyone was in huge competition against each other and it was really cutthroat and just not a nice atmosphere like the green roof industry has. Uh, and I do hope that carries on. And, um, but you're right, there is, if the market's growing at 17.5% a year, we need people to be coming into the industry at the same rate to keep up with the amount of work. You know, and overnight, if all the all the cities and towns around the UK suddenly realise, well, we want to have green roofs. Where, where's the skilled labour? You know, it, it's like um, Wales, they've put in massive, massive uh, commitments for green infrastructure, led by Gary Grant and Dusty Gedge. Um, but the risk there is, who's going to do it? You know, and 
if if my company were to install roofs in Wales, we're actually creating a huge carbon footprint going over there to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are we undoing all the good work we're doing? So a big drive for grow is to create training opportunities, create training courses, you know, to get more people into it. We want to train more roofers to take it on as a new discipline for them. Yeah, we want to train landscape operatives to be working at heights. You know, there's obviously different considerations there. You're not working on the ground. You need to make sure there's edge protection. You're safely working at height. So there's new challenges for them. But, you know, it, it, for me, Daniel, it's like this isn't a roofing discipline. This isn't a landscaping discipline. This is something in the middle and it's its own specialism. Yeah, you can come from either side and join or you can come from anywhere else and join but it is specific skills it is specific you know you need to know about weight loading you need to know that you're not going to collapse that roof by building it you yeah. know there's lots and lots of things to be aware of you know and you need to really have an appreciation for that waterproof layer because if you puncture that that's that's huge you know, while you're doing an installation because you were untrained, that's huge, massive costs going forward for that building owner to get that repaired, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and for you potentially, you know, with your own liability or professional indemnity. So training is hugely important within this. Because it, it is, as you're talking, I, I'm, it's kind of a, a really exciting time because I feel that, you know, there is that, like you say, there is that place in the middle where, the hortics need to meet, you know, broadly speaking, the hortics need to meet the, you know, hortics landscapers need to meet the roofers, the roofers, you know, we're probably unsure about the roofs. They're unsure about the green bits. There is such a, there is such an opportunity for meaningful collaboration. It really is. You know, I think that is, um, it's, it's an exciting time. And, and there's also starting to be a sort of flip within, uh, within the industry so up to now it, it's sort of been green roofers and landscapers working for the roofing contractor because it's in the roofing package yeah but as these green roofs and roof gardens get a lot more uh, ambitious um, and exciting okay so like we were saying chris <clears throat> it's a really uh, exciting time for collaboration between different you know again the roofers meeting the hortics and the hortics meeting uh you know meeting the uh you know the roofing industry definitely definitely Danny. i think there's you know there's there's need of, of the skills from both sides um yeah. and and sort of up to now it's landscapers and green roof contractors have been working for the roofing contractor because it falls within their package but you know now as sort of architects get more ambitious and want to see more you know, interesting, uh, intensive roofs on top of um, development. It's like the roofing waterproof package could be worth 200,000, yet the landscaping package could be worth a million. So the roofing companies don't want to take on all that risk of something they don't know about. So there's potential now that it flips around and it's actually the landscape contractors have the package and and bring in the waterproof as, as as one of their contractors rather than the other way around. You know, as the values flip, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, I um, and and you're seeing you're seeing a lot more of that within 
obviously with yourselves, but you see a lot of that 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 flip happening in the in this industry. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. As you know, as as more interesting schemes come about, it, it's becoming apparent that they're worth a, a hell of a lot more money than the um, the actual roof works itself. So. Interesting, interesting. So going back to the training, so have you got a kind of a list of kind of the what the what a green roof you know installer and green roof you know company should be having so do you think there is like an awareness of health and safety basic uh plant identification skills i mean is that is that, is that fair to say yeah definitely so um i can talk about the the sort of training suite so uh, in june we'll have the e-learning course that is up to it's about three hours of online learning um ideal for newcomers to the industry people that have never really uh, had any involvement in green roofs before so it could be your developer it could be your local council it mm. could be you as an individual that just wants to come and see what a green roof is about and learn in your own time if if you want to sort of take that further you can then go on to a physical introductory course that will look at health and safety it will look at structural considerations it will look at the different types and benefits of green roofs in more depth. Um, and then you will go on to do practical sessions if you want to become an installer, um, which the sort of day two session looks more at your biosolar roof. It looks at plant ident. It looks at um, blue roofs as well as shaped and pitched roofs. So, you know, we're going to take it to the next level on that second day course. Um, and then if you, you know, you can achieve a CSCS card, um, a construction skills card in green roofing, but that would require you to collect a portfolio of evidence of you installing green roofs to then get your card at the end of it, you know, to show that you're a competent green roof installer. So can we, can we go back to that point or stick on that point? Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, at the moment, the industry again is working on people having that cscs card but it doesn't doesn't necessarily cover them to work on the green roofs is that yeah well absolutely i mean how can i say this you could potentially get onto a construction site um if you've got a cscs card so i could take you on the roof uh potentially if you had a plumbing CSCS card, just because you've got a CSCS card. Yeah. But as you know, as safety is sort of ramped up and, you know, there's now, there's more of an onus, onus on the, the developer and the main contractors to prove that the people doing the work are actually trained and skilled in their occupation. Yeah. So you will need, if you're installing a green roof, it will need to say on your card, that you can install a green roof or you're a competent installer um, to do that. You know, just because you're a chippy or a plumber doesn't mean you can suddenly say, well, I'm a green roofer. You know, you need to demonstrate that you are. Yeah. And I think that's great. I think that's very much, that's very important in, in some of the points we spoke about earlier, you know, that building these roofs, you've got the ability to collapse that roof if you overload it in one area, you know, during construction. So if you were a plumber or a, you know, a chippy, why would you know about that? How would you know about that? So training is really crucial. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm pausing because uh, again, we've had this conversation previously. Um, you know, it really is, you know, to have that training, to have that understanding about green roofs and load bearing, it always brings me back to our conversation about the green roof over in Latvia. And is it Latvia or Estonia? Or... Yeah, Latvia. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'll put a link in the in the in the links below on, on the video, but it shows you, you know, you've got, you know, you've got to understand. Um, you know, you've got to understand about these things, you've got to understand about load bearing, you've got to understand about you know, where, you know, when you're building these green roofs, you know, how do you build them, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, you, you've got to have that appreciation. And unfortunately, in Latvia, there was a huge loss of life because it was an active supermarket and, and they were building the green roof, uh, roof garden. And, you know, I understand the pressures. It's just get all the material up there. The crane costs a lot of money, but you can't just do that. You know, you've got to spread the weight because... The roof is only designed to take the finished roof garden, not tons and tons of material stacked up in one area. You know, it's it's not like on the ground. You could get lorries turn up and tip and go, you know, 20 ton in one place because it's the ground. This isn't the ground. This is yeah. the roof, you know, and it's not that strong, you know. So it's, um, yeah, that's huge. That's That really is huge. And that's not just on big commercial builds. That could be domestic dwellings as well. You know, we've got to be really careful that the, these working at height is one of the biggest killers, you know, to to people actually working at height. But, as you know, with this as well, you know, we're it's additional risk. So, again, that, that really highlights the need for training. Yeah. So thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for your time. I absolutely love this chat. So thank you very much. Um, I guess the next thing is, where can people uh, find out more about Bridgman and Bridgman? I'd love if you could direct us towards um, everything you've been talking about with Grow. So, yes, if you just give us a sort of your ending credits. Yeah, no, no, Dan, Daniel, it's been it's really great to talk to you and, and enjoyable. And I would urge anyone that's um, wanting more information about green roofing, um, design, recommended uh, manufacturers contractors or suppliers to get over to the grow website that's the green roof organization lots of great information there the new code uh, the grow code is about to be launched on the 6th of june which is world green roof day um, also go to lantra's website to look at training opportunities and the, the course path that you can go on um, but for Bridgman and Bridgman, uh, our website is gardensinthesky.co.uk um, and you can see lots of our case studies, videos of installations we've done uh, and the history of our company. And um, yeah, there's lots of uh, great stuff that, you know, our team have done and, and we are a big team that uh, really love what we do. And um, I owe a lot to our people as well. So um, it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff top man Chris thanks for your time Speak thanks to you soon. Daniel really appreciate it good stuff